Well, now you'll see that the, the passage for this morning is printed in your bulletins. If you would give your attention to God's Word, you can find it in the bulletin. You could read along in your Bible, however you prefer. I'm going to read it aloud, and while I'm reading this, let me ask you, if you're able, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. The passage this morning comes from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the second week where we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, and you'll see we've connected it to chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. This is the Word of God. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, what is lacking cannot be counted. And I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and of knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And then in chapter 2, verse 12, So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. And I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity in a striving after wind. Would you please be seated and would you once again join me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that you would guide us this morning through your word. We thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that through this word and through your son, Jesus Christ, you move towards us. And so we ask this morning, Lord God, uh, that as we speak about your word, your spirit would be here, indwelling our hearts, giving us eyes to see, that we would perceive the message you have for us, that we would see more of our need and we would see more of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would do all of this for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Well, this morning, as again we begin looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, we find this question that's going to be asked in every chapter, okay? It is the question that deals with how do we find the meaning and the purpose of life, okay? The meaning and the purpose of life. Now, 
This is a question that has been asked in every generation by all groups of people, and we see it in all forms of poetry and in, in music and in literature and in art. It occurs again in every generation. Let me give you a few examples of this. The striving after the question, what is the meaning or purpose of life? There's a few things that come to the top of my head. First of all, Frank Sinatra. Right? Many of you know Frank Sinatra. He's got that, that song that he sings. It's called My Way. You remember that song, My Way? He ends that song by saying, let the record show I took all the blows and I did it my way. You remember that? For Frank Sinatra, the, the, the answer to the question of the meaning or the purpose of life is it's all about if you do it your own way. If you can find autonomy and do it in your own power, of your own accord, according to your own plans, man, that's the meaning and the purpose of life. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, in his famous poem, A, a Psalm for All of Life, he's asking the question, what's the purpose of life? And he gets to the end of the poem and listen to what he says. Let us then be up and doing with a heart for any fate, Still achieving, still pursuing, learn to labor and to wait. For Longfellow, the answer to the question of the meaning and the purpose of life was that the purpose of life was that we labor and we rest. That's all there is to life. You work, and when you work, then you find the meaning and the purpose of life. That question has been wrestled with through all generations. This morning and in every chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the writer of this book will wrestle with the very same questions. Let me draw the picture for you. I think it's a very simple picture, but this is what is happening in every chapter of Ecclesiastes. Okay, Solomon is asking the question from the perception of all humanity. So this is not simply for him. He's not saying, what is the meaning of life for me? He's saying for all of humanity, for all people everywhere, in all the course of history, how do we get to the meaning and purpose of life? And for Solomon, it all begins with God, okay? Wrapped up with God is meaning and purpose, okay? Solomon definitely believes that there's a God. And the question that he asks week in and week out, every chapter that we will read is a question of how do we get from point A to point B? It's, it's very simple, Okay? With God is meaning and purpose and hope and life, and there is a, there's, a, there's a definition for everything in our existence, but the question for Solomon is going to be, how do we get there? Frank Sinatra would say, we get there by doing things my way, our way. Uh, Longfellow would say, we, we get there by working and resting, okay? But the question is going to be, what do we plug into this equation? What do we find in life that will move us from where we are in a broken world to discovering our, the meaning and the purpose of life, okay? That's what we're doing this morning, but big surprise here, that's what we're doing every week. Every chapter we look at in this book is going to be the same question. How do we get there? How do we get to meaning, purpose, God, life, and hope? As we begin reading this passage, we see, as Solomon kind of lays out to us, we see the very beginning of this, the pursuit of meaning and purpose, and he begins to talk about it at beginning in verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, if you're wondering, as we talk about who the author of this book is, you've heard me mention the name Solomon. Last week we talked about, there's a little bit of question whether Solomon wrote the book. But if you're trying to place this book, if it was written by Solomon, you're trying to place it in a place and time, when was it written and why was it written, 
here's where we begin to place the book in the life and the course of events of Solomon's life. Okay, he says he's the king over Israel. Yeah, that definitely sounds like Solomon, doesn't it? I, I believe Solomon wrote this book. But he says that he had been the king over Israel. That is the past tense. So he is currently the king, but he's reflecting on a life of being king over Israel. Let me familiarize you with the life of Solomon. It's very simple. Solomon was a good young man. He was the son of David. He pursued the Lord God, and the Lord God said to Solomon, what, what do you want? I'll give you anything. And Solomon said, Lord God, give me wisdom more than any other man on all the face of the earth. And God gave Solomon wisdom, for he saw that this was a very good thing for Solomon to ask for. And we have the, the record in 1 Kings of Solomon being a good king over Israel until we get to about the seventh chapter of Kings. And we find that Solomon began to want all the women of the peoples of the world, okay? And so he started to marry these women from, from other nations. And then very quickly it says Solomon began to worship other gods. And in 1 Kings chapter 8 it says that the hand of God came against Solomon and we see him at the end of the record in Scripture, we see him as sort of unrepentant. Okay, that's how Scripture ends the story of Solomon. Now, this book of Ecclesiastes that we suppose is written by Solomon, it appears to be written towards the end of his life. And what we believe then is that this is written at a moment of repentance that Solomon had at the end of his life. That he's now looking back and he's saying, well, you know, all, all the good things I did, all the bad things, I went through them all. I experienced wisdom. I also experienced pleasure. I had everything in this world, and I realized it wasn't good enough to get me to God, meaning, purpose, hope, and life, okay? So that's how he begins this passage. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And look what he says in verse 13. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Let me say something about this first pursuit to answer this question. If I was trying to answer the question about meaning and purpose, I would have begun with the low-hanging fruit, okay? That is to say, I would have begun with the things that we can easily check off and we can say, that's not it. I tried it. I can tell you definitively that won't get you there, okay? I remember this time, maybe about 10 years ago, I was teaching a group of children. They were probably five or six years old. And I asked them the question. I said, do you know why God made you? And they looked a little perplexed. And, and so I tried to rephrase. I said, do you know, like, what, what, what he made you to do in this world? Like, what's your purpose? One of the little kids, his hand went up, and, and he, he was eager to answer. And so I called on him, and he said, well, I can tell you what my purpose is not, Okay? I know what my purpose isn't, and I said, oh, maybe we'll get there you know, this way. And uh, so he proceeded to tell me, I know that my purpose in this world is not to play video games. Because okay? my mom told me, God didn't make you to do that. Okay? And so, yeah, that's the low-hanging fruit, right? We could say video games is not the, the way to find meaning and purpose in this world. But next week in chapter 2, Solomon will ask the question, do we get there through pleasure? And he will talk about things like alcohol and, like, and food. He will talk about sensuality in that chapter, okay? For me, that's the low-hanging fruit. That is the thing that all of us in the room, no matter what our church background is, even if you're not a Christian, you might be able to agree, yeah, pleasure is not going to get you there. Those simple things in life will not move you towards meaning and purpose. But, you know, on the, on the whole list, the pecking order of things that are superficial and shallow all the way up to the most noble of endeavors, wisdom is way up there, isn't it? 
okay? Wisdom is like up there with good works and philanthropy and giving all you have to the poor and living life for some meaning or purpose. I mean, it's all up there wrapped up together. These are noble endeavors, and that's where Solomon begins in this book. He's going to try wisdom out. And again in verse 13, it says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Now, here's what you need to know about that, okay? The language that Solomon uses in verse 13 is meant to communicate a great level of intensity, of sincerity and severity. He says, I applied my heart, which is to say, I committed my whole self to this, okay? I was deeply committed to the pursuit of wisdom. And after all, that's what we know about Solomon, isn't it? Deeply committed. That means he didn't wake up one morning and say, ah, I think I'll try out wisdom today, okay? Not like we do. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You watch like a documentary, and the next day, you're inspired. You're going to do whatever you watch in that documentary. Okay, for, for my family, it, we watch a lot of Alone, which is a wilderness survival show, okay? And then uh, there'll be these times we watch it, and the next morning, the kids are like, yeah, we're going to go set a trap in the woods and try and trap a bunny or something, um, my nieces and nephews, a few months ago, they said, we're going to make a gill net. Right? You know what a gill net is? No? Gill net. A gill net to catch fish in the water, to catch them by their gills. And I was thinking, where, why are we making a gill net? Where are we going to put a gill net? But that, inspired by a documentary, very fleeting. Solomon is not saying that. He didn't wake up one morning and think, I'm going to pursue wisdom. This has been a lifelong journey for him. He applied his heart. He committed his whole self to it. And the Hebrew words, to seek and to search... They mean very much the same thing almost, but both of them are an intense word, okay? That is to say Solomon is communicating to us that he devoted himself to the pursuit of wisdom, that he gathered all the books that he could by wise authors, and he read them, that he sat at the feet of wise teachers, and he listened, and he internalized it all, and he gathered wisdom from around the world, and he said, will wisdom get me to meaning and purpose? But he really, really tried, and he committed himself to this, okay? This is what the Bible speaks about in 1 Kings 4. It's describing the wisdom of Solomon, and God says that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. It is in the same chapter that it says that, wisdom, uh, that Solomon was wiser than any of the kings of the earth, that his wisdom surpassed all of them, and that from all over the face of the earth, people came to hear the wisdom of King Solomon. So he pursued wisdom. Now let me tell you something about wisdom. As you know, this morning, we're going to come to the conclusion that wisdom is not good enough to get us there. But wisdom is a good pursuit, okay? We're not saying that wisdom is bad, right? So children, don't go home and say, hey, I heard Pastor Brian saying we don't need wisdom. It's not what I'm saying. The Bible is full of passages about wisdom that tell us that wisdom is good. Proverbs chapter 8, Lady Wisdom says, when you find me, you find life. With wisdom is life. Okay? It's a beautiful promise that God gives us. The question this morning, though, is not, is wisdom good? Or will wisdom be beneficial to us? For it will be. The question is, will wisdom get us from where we are in a broken, sinful world to God as we discover meaning and purpose? Will wisdom get us there? That's the question that Solomon is asking. And as you've seen from the passage the answer is most definitively, most assuredly, no. That wisdom will not 
get us to ultimate meaning and purpose. Wisdom in this passage is the big surprise failure. Maybe it's the biggest surprise of all the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? Because as I said, there'll be a lot of things that we, we look at and we say, of course that won't get us there. But wisdom might be the big surprise of the book. Look at what Solomon says in these two chapters concerning that pursuit of wisdom, beginning in verse 14. He says, I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. He will twice in chapter 1 describe the pursuit of wisdom as a striving after the wind. Same sort of picture as last week, right? If you strive after the wind, you can try and catch it, but you're not going to be able to get it. I'll just tell you right now, okay? The wind will elude you. You will not be able to contain it. And that's the way he describes the pursuit of wisdom. He continues in verse 17. I applied my heart to know wisdom. And then what does he say? I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. The description in chapter 2 that we read is even uh, more emphatic. Because he says there in chapter 2, yeah, wisdom is better than folly. The wise man has more understanding than the fool. But you know what? The same thing happens to them both. And then he takes it a step further. He says, not only does the same thing happen to them, but as a matter of fact, they both die and no one remembers them. Okay, he, just, he describes this sort of the predicament you find yourself in. Yeah, you can pursue wisdom, but if you pursue it as a means in and of an end, uh, an end uh, you will be left wanting. And that's the description he gives us in chapter 1 and chapter 2. I would suggest to you this morning... That Solomon will tell us not only does wisdom not get us there, but it actually leaves us in a worse place than when we began. It leaves us more confused or perplexed, okay? That is, if we try to plug it into this equation of the pursuit of meaning, purpose, hope, and life in God, we will be left worse off than when we began. One of the places that appears in this passage is in verse 13, in verse 13, he says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Now, I, when this, uh, the, the English Standard Version, which is what we're reading out of, when this was being translated, I would have loved to have been in the room to hear why this word was translated as unhappy. Because it's not really unhappy. I'll just put that out there right now. This word is the Hebrew word ra. If you know raw, it is the most morally emphatic word of the Old Testament for evil, okay? It is the word that's used to describe the devil. It is the word that's used to describe the opposite of everything that is good. It's the word that's used to describe the, the gods of the world and the pursuit of them. It really means evil. And so what Solomon literally says here is that this pursuit of wisdom is an evil business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Not that it was just unhappy or that it sat wrongly with him, but that there was something morally corrupt about it. There was something so wrong with pursuing wisdom for meaning and purpose that it made him sort of churn in his stomach at the thought of it. You know, I've been thinking about well, what is it? What is it that Solomon would say is so evil about this pursuit of wisdom? I, I think I can surmise what's going on in this passage. Let me, let me tell you, I, I think that Solomon perceives that all of these things at the top of the pecking chart of the most noble endeavors of, in all the world, all of these things are very deceptive because they appear to be very good. 
And they appear that if we follow them, we will end up at this place of meaning, purpose, hope, and life. So the deception of these things is what really ends up being very evil to Solomon because they appear for all intents and purposes that they will indeed do the job. But as he pursues them, he finds that they lead him nowhere. I think that's what he means by this is an unhappy business, that he ultimately ends at a place where he has less answers than when he began. I think this is relevant in the world today, if you just consider uh, worldly wisdom, this is, it's the Hebrew word chokmah, which really speaks about just general wisdom. It's not godly wisdom. It's just, it's learning and understanding and reasoning and education, okay? And the world today, I think there's a very popular argument that says, if we just learn enough, we will understand everything, okay? And we might not understand it all today, but we're moving towards the point when we will, We are the most enlightened generation of all time. And if we just get more education and more learning and more science, if we just perceive the world better, one day we will wake up and we will make sense of it all and we will have mastery over it all. Right? And and our society, every time we see a, a picture from a telescope of a further away universe or we split an atom or we develop a new technology, we're furthering the lie in our own minds that the more we grow in education, the more enlightened we become, the more we understand the world, the more we have meaning, purpose, and hope. All right? Solomon is saying to himself, he's saying to those who would hear, he's saying to the world around us today, this isn't how you get there. And you may think that it is, but one day you wake up and you realize, I'm, I'm no closer to meaning, purpose, hope, and life than I was when I began. Okay? That's what Solomon is arguing this morning, and he is the one with the authority to speak to this very issue. Now, verse 15 and verse 17 in chapter 1 are set off as sort of a, these, a poetic phrase there. You can see it. They're set off in their own quotations. Two lines of poetry, but I think these two lines of poetry that Solomon includes in chapter 1, these are the lines that help us to make sense of exactly what is going on when Solomon tried to apply wisdom to the equation of life and he finds that he was wanting. It says in verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. It says in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. I think what Solomon's describing as he quotes those passages and he, and he speaks about how perplexing wisdom is, he's saying that as he pursued wisdom, he felt like it was moving him towards God, but the longer he went, the more he realized that there was these turns and these twists, and he was moving away from God and towards God and then back away, and then some some point he realized that he wound up way over here, far away from God, Okay. That, that, that's a reference to the brokenness of the world. When Solomon says that it, what is crooked cannot be made straight, he's saying, listen, as we pursue things in this world, even things as lofty as wisdom, we don't realize, but things that were made to lead us towards God, if we pursue them hard enough and commit our lives to them, we realize that they end up giving us twists and turns, and then eventually they lead us further and further away from God. He uses the word there, Vexation. You know what vexation means? To be vexed. It is literally the word that means to be irritated, 
or agitated to the point of anger. To be irritated or agitated to the point of anger. I was thinking of how, how to best illustrate exactly what that means. And here's my best attempt. I think you'll resonate with me. If you've ever been camping in a tent, all right, you'll, you'll know this. I've been camping at least 100 times, and I can sleep through cold weather, and I can sleep through uh, wet sleeping bags. I can sleep through a lot, but I cannot sleep through mosquitoes in the tent, okay? Somebody leaves the door open in the tent, and you wake up in the middle of the night. What happens? You hear the buzzing in your ear, right? Like, that sound. You know it, okay? And it continues, That is the picture of being agitated or irritated to the point of anger. Uh, I can't sleep. I end up packing up and we're leaving. There's no way I'm going to sleep with a mosquito in the tent. This is the picture that Solomon gives concerning the pursuit of wisdom. He found that he, he ended up over here somewhere between nonsense and dismay. Okay? Somewhere in the ballpark over here. That was his pursuit of wisdom, and he realized it brought him to this point of vexation, of being agitated and irritated, because the answer that he had been seeking, he was no closer to. As a matter of fact, he was further away from, and he was utterly confused about what he needed to do to bring him nearer to God, to meaning and purpose. And so he describes it here as, what is crooked cannot be made straight, what is lacking cannot be counted uh, and then, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let me tell you something you may or may not be aware of, but it's going to come up a lot in this book, okay? The reality of life is that if we plug anything into this equation that we do, or that we say, or that we think, or that we act, if we plug anything into this equation that has to do with the things that we do, think, say, and act, we will find ourselves spinning our wheels, going roundabout, thinking we're moving closer to God, and then one day waking up, realizing that we're further away from Him than we ever could imagine. We're somewhere between nonsense and dismay. Whether we think, like Frank Sinatra, that it's just living life my way, like Longfellow, that it's living for work and for rest, like John Muir that is living for nature, like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates that is living for philanthropy and giving everything we have away. Whatever we think we can plug into this equation and we can do, think, act, whatever, one day we will find that it will not get us to that place. Okay? That's what Solomon is introducing in this book. Not even wisdom. For as great and amazing as wisdom is, not even wisdom will bring us to the place of meaning, purpose, hope, and life in God. But you see, this morning, Solomon's on to something. I want to tell you what he's on to as we, as we read this passage. But first, it reminds me of this story. There was a pastor who was preaching through Ecclesiastes, and, and he shared this story, and it really caught my attention. He said that, when he was a child, uh, that he would play Monopoly with his family. And his grandmother was like the best Monopoly player ever. And she always beat them. Always, always beat them. And I, I resonated partly because that's what I did with my grandmother. Uh, we played Monopoly and we played poker. Those are the two things we did. Us children with our grandmother. And we would bring our money and she would take it every time. Okay? And she was teaching us life lessons, I think. This pastor said that he would play Monopoly 
with his family, his grandmother would always win, and he made it his lifelong goal to beat her in Monopoly. And so he said around the age of 15, he had been studying Monopoly, but he also started to learn about economics and investments and how these things work. And he said at age 15, he was going through this game, and about three quarters of the way through the game, he realized that he was going to beat his grandmother. And this was a moment for rejoicing. And so rejoicing turned into gloating, and he was, he was just so excited, and he was kind of put it in her face a little bit, and the game ended, and he had won, and this was just the crowning moment for this pastor. And he said that his grandmother was congratulating him on a game well done, and you've really learned how to play Monopoly well, and she's packing up the game, and she says to him, but there's still one lesson you have left to learn. And sort of curious, he asked his grandmother, well, what's the lesson? And she said, well, when everything is said and done, it all gets packed up into the box. This, this is what Solomon is getting at here, isn't it? This is why he introduces the subject of death in chapter 2. At, at the end of life, when we, when we reach eternity, when we come face to face with God, when everything has been said and done, wisdom is going to be packed back up in the box and it will have nothing to do with whether we found meaning, purpose, hope, and life in God. The dollars get put back in the bank and the box gets packed up and these things are all fleeting. They will be gone. No matter how noble or surfacey uh, and superficial they are, they will be gone. But as I said to you this morning, I believe that Solomon was on to something, okay? I think that Solomon had a general or a vague understanding. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is him grasping trying to figure out exactly what it is that will get him there. The writers of the New Testament, they, they, they shed so much light on what's happening in the Old Testament, and they tell us again and again that the believers of the Old Testament, that they saw from afar, that they looked from a distance, and they could only see vaguely, through a mirror dimly lit, as if to see a shadow, they could only see from a distance the hope of God. And so the believers of the Old Testament are feeling their way through life, trying to figure out exactly what is it that will get us there. And this is Solomon feeling his way through, trying to figure this question out. Peter says in his letter in 1 Peter, he says to the believers there, that the, the believers of the Old Testament, they saw from a distance the things that angels longed to look into. The references there are to Jesus Christ, and I believe Solomon, as he beats around the bush with wisdom, I believe he's picking up on something, and he's trying to feel out exactly what is it that gets us to God, meaning hope, and life. And he missed the mark slightly. He can't put his finger on it, but man, he's in the ballpark. He's really getting close, because the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that we preach Christ crucified stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, I think what the Apostle Paul was saying is wisdom and power and good works, okay, all the things that we just talked about, and righteousness, all of these things that the writers of the Old Testament are feeling around and they're, they're, they're searching out and they're saying, well, this kind of feels like it gets me there. 
but then they pursue and they realize it doesn't at all. All of these things will indeed get us to God, but not these things from us. Our power doesn't get us to God, the power of Christ. Power of God in Christ, right? Our wisdom doesn't get us to God. It is the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. Our righteousness doesn't get us to God, though we, we wish it would. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus gets us there, okay? All of these things are realized in the cross. And what we, I thought I had an eraser up here this morning, and I was going to erase it. I was going to put the cross right here. I'm going to just put the cross over it, all right? What we realize as we read the New Testament is that Solomon is trying to feel his way around this cross. And as he seeks wisdom, believing that wisdom will get him there, but finding that it doesn't, he is feeling around the wisdom of God, and he's perceiving that there's something to it, but he just can't put words to it. He can't put his finger on it. It is the cross of Christ that makes meaning and purpose, hope and life in God. It is the cross of Christ that brings us there. There's nothing that we can do, say, act, or think For Christ has done it all on our behalf. It is why Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one makes meaning of life. No one makes purpose of life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one finds God apart from me. So this is the very thing that Solomon is working his way around, seeking and searching out. This morning he attempts to find if wisdom will get him there and he realizes even the most noble of endeavors will not cut it. And so this morning, as we conclude this passage, let me just leave you with this thought. We are going to go through Ecclesiastes for another 13 weeks and it will be the story week after week of the things that won't get us there. And that will help us because we're going to reflect on our own lives. What things are we trusting in that don't get us there? And we thought we could plug in and they would move us towards meaning and purpose, but they won't. Next week we'll talk about pleasure. How the American church probably is more dependent upon pleasure than we actually know. But week in and week out as we ask this question, we have to reorient ourselves to the cross. The question of the meaninglessness of life and the things of life that don't get us there, it will be absolutely depressing and meaningless if we don't return to the cross. If we don't remind ourselves that for all the things we can't do to get there, Christ has done these things on our behalf. So let's remind ourselves week in and week out that this is the hope of the gospel. And it's very simple. It's a wonderful opportunity this morning as we think about Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2, a wonderful opportunity to remind ourselves of the beautiful, simplistic nature of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, who is very God of very God, came to this world, was born of human flesh, lived a perfect life, righteous, wise, powerful, good, all of these things, that he died on our behalf, that he shed his blood, that his blood might atone for the sins of his people. Then he sent his Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God would come to the people of God and convict their hearts, that they would sense in their heart their great need for him. If you have sensed your need, it's because the Spirit of God is working within you. And when the people of God begin to sense their need, you know what they realize? They realize that the distance between them and God is greater than they ever thought it was. 
that the distance between God and man is so great that although reasonable creatures owe their obedience to him, they could never have any fruition of him unless he moved towards them, unless he did something on their behalf, okay? And as we get to that point of great desperation, realizing how far God is from us, we will make all the attempts in this world to plug in something and to try to figure out this equation. All of those things will be found wanting until the Spirit of God has convicted us enough that we turn our eyes and our attention to the cross of Christ and we realize that this is nothing about what we do. It has nothing to do with our actions or how much we try or don't try. It has everything to do with whether we've cast ourselves upon Jesus Christ who has done on our behalf what we could never do for ourselves. He is the wisdom and the power of God. He is the one who has the authority to reconcile broken sinners to a living God who is righteous and holy and to make us pleasing before him that we could stand before him and he could say, my sons and my daughters. You are my people, and you are marvelous in my sight, and I want to spend eternity with you. That's what Solomon is grasping for. So he's feeling around in the dark for. Wisdom won't get us there. Only Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this book, and I know, Lord God, as negative as this book can seem, as much as it makes us look inward and feel emptiness or to feel hopelessness, as much as it makes us look at the greatest things this world has to offer and to realize that they've been subjected to futility. And to realize that they will not get us where we want to go, where we need to go. I thank you, Lord God, that those things don't satisfy us. And I thank you that it is only by the work of your Spirit that the eyes of our hearts can be opened. And that we can see with a spiritual vision, we can see that Jesus Christ, is the wisdom and power of God, the righteousness and the holiness of God, that he is the one who has lived the perfect life and that he has done so on our behalf, that if we come in faith, that we will be fully satisfied, that we will find meaning and purpose, hope and life, and that not for a time and not to the end of this world, but for eternity that we will be joined with you and we will live all our days not wanting or grasping or feeling empty or wondering, that we will live all our days in the presence of the living God with your Son, Jesus Christ, our older brother who has gone before us. We will live all our days being fully satisfied. We will live all our days as sons and daughters of the King. So direct our attention, move our hearts, call us to repentance, give us the gift of faith, help us to trust in you, our Lord and our God. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom and our power. Amen.